Good morning, Nashville. My name is Braden Gall, and this is the 444 Monday, November 23rd. First of all, happy Thanksgiving week to everybody. It is by far my favorite holiday. And on the front end here of this particular show, before we get to Titans and Vols and Nashville SC, I wanted to let you know that all 440 Sports podcasts will still be taking place this week. Lamestream Sports, the gold standard fringe element, will all be coming out prior to Thanksgiving on Thursday. So if you need some stuff to listen to while you're driving around, and I'm going to try to get you all of those shows up by Wednesday. This particular program will be on all the way through Thursday, and there will be no show on Friday morning. The gravity of the Titans' performance on Sunday in Baltimore cannot be overstated. It saved the season for now and gives Tennessee a huge chip in the tiebreaker conversation that is most assuredly coming later in the year. Baltimore and Tennessee don't like each other, and that is what has always made this game so much fun for both sides. But Sunday's overtime thriller was as memorable as any game these two bitter rivals have ever played, and they have played in some big spots. All you need to know about how important this win was for Tennessee is that they went from ninth place in the AFC to fifth place in the AFC and securely in the playoffs in one afternoon. Lamar Jackson and the Ravens were held in check for most of the day due to yet another excellent schematic game plan from Mike Vrabel's defense. But Baltimore managed to take a 21-10 lead midway through the third quarter because of problems on the other side of the ball. The Titans' offense was losing players left and right to injury. Arthur Smith was making a bunch of bizarre play calls. The offensive line was atrocious, and Ryan Tannehill was making mistakes. But then the Titans got back to what they do best. Run Derrick Henry and use play action to get A.J. Brown and Corey Davis the football in space. Tennessee then scored on four consecutive drives, including the game winner in overtime. After a huge sack from Harold Landry on the first possession of overtime that led to arguably the biggest stop of the entire season for the Titans' defense, Henry put the victory to bed by taking it 29 yards for the game-winning touchdown, the 50th of his career. I, for one, am grateful that we didn't have to suffer through an overtime field goal attempt, and there are still plenty of things that we can complain about with this team, which I will do in just a second. But a win is a win, and this team's ability to rise to the occasion, make a few really big plays when it matters the most, and find a way to win should not be surprising to anyone. In fact, it's become a calling card of the Vrabel-Tannehill combination. It was Ryan Tannehill's NFL league-leading fifth game-winning drive of the season. And to quote Lamar Jackson after the game, it just looked like that team wanted it more than us. Sunday was spectacular theater for football fans, and it's all that much more fun when you win. But I still saw plenty of things to be concerned about with this team. And ironically, special teams wasn't one of them. In fact, special teams were relatively dependable and absent from the list of things I'm worried about from the win over Baltimore. Although we all know that's still going to be a major issue moving forward. First, the offensive line continues to maybe be the biggest problem on the entire team. And it's only getting worse. Center Ben Jones left Sunday's game, as did left tackle Ty Sambrello. Nate Davis finished the game as the only guy on the field who started on the offensive line in the playoffs last year. And still, Isaiah Wilson wasn't an option. Jamil Douglas and David Quisenberry got huge snaps in the fourth quarter and overtime for this team. And I don't know about you, but depending on those two guys for anything other than spot duty is a scary proposition. All of this is, of course, on top of the fact that Aaron Brewer played the entire game at left guard for Roger Saffold. This was obviously part of the issue for coordinator Arthur Smith, who didn't call a particularly inspiring football game. But that's the job in the NFL. Scheme around your weaknesses and make adjustments with creativity and unpredictability. He needs to do better. 
Overall, the defense was sound against one of the league's most dynamic players. Vrabel clearly understands how to attack Lamar Jackson. And yes, Landry made a huge play in overtime. But the third down defense was once again a big issue. The Titans allowed nine conversions on 15 attempts, and they barely got any pressure on the quarterback. They did get two huge stops to end regulation and to start overtime, but these two areas go hand in hand. It's a lot easier to convert on third down when you've got time to stand in the pocket and survey the defense. And oh, to top it all off, Jayon Brown left the game midway through and never came back. With a road trip to Indianapolis coming up this weekend and a visit from 7-3 Cleveland in two weeks, there is no time to celebrate this win. Vrabel and company have to get to work fixing their problems. Well, this is getting pretty old pretty fast for Tennessee fans, and frankly, I'm running out of things to say about the Vols' week-in, week-out disappointments. I will give you my final verdict on what I think Tennessee should do with Jeremy Pruitt and his coaching staff in just a minute, but let's get the ugly out of the way first. Tennessee gave up 27 unanswered points to go from up 10 points to a 13-point loss on Saturday night to Auburn. It's the Vols' fifth straight loss, something Tennessee has only done twice since 1954. The other time was 1988. It was the Vols' fifth straight loss by double digits, something Tennessee has never done in over 125 years of playing football. The Vols have been outscored 108-14 to in the second half during the five-game losing streak, and Auburn won the second half 20-7 to on Saturday night. After a 100-yard pick six from Jarek Garantano, of course when Tennessee was trailing by just three points late in the third quarter, Tennessee's offense has now scored almost as many touchdowns for the other team, five, as it has for itself, six, since holding a halftime lead against Georgia five games ago. The offense really wasn't all that bad either on Saturday night, as Eric Gray had 222 yards from scrimmage on 25 touches. The Vols had 28 first downs and almost 500 yards of offense. But extraordinary mistakes in all three phases gave Auburn a relatively easy win. Not your run-of-the-mill normal football mistakes either. Stuff like a totally blown coverage, turnovers in the red zone, and missing a bunch of field goals doomed Tennessee yet again. Which leads to the final big glaring weakness for this coaching staff, and it's where there needs to be action this offseason. This team has been completely outcoached at halftime of almost every single game they've played this year, with the exception of the South Carolina game. And this is where I want to see Tennessee make a change. I'm a big believer that most everyone in college football, players, coaches, ADs, get somewhat of a pass in 2020 due to all of the things. I don't think 2020 should be the reason you change your opinion about a head coach. If you thought Will Muschamp or Derek Mason should have been fired before the pandemic, then I'm okay with firing them during the pandemic. But Vols fans were in love with Jeremy Pruitt less than two months ago. Yes, it's been ugly. But it's been ugly for a lot of teams and coaches in college football. Just ask 0-5 James Franklin. So no, I don't think the smart thing to do is to fire Jeremy Pruitt right now. And this is coming from someone who didn't like the Pruitt hire from the beginning. From someone who questioned from the beginning if Philip Fulmer had any ability to be a great athletic director. You know, on the account of having zero experience with the job. But you know what else I didn't like from the beginning? Hiring Jim Chaney. To me, this is the move Tennessee has to make. Pruitt should be back next year, and given a normal year to prove that 2020 was the mirage and that the growth and development from 2019 was legitimate. But I'm sorry, all Jim Chaney has done for me in 2020 is prove that his very average, very unimaginative, and very antiquated offense has no business near Knoxville. He's not developed the quarterback position, he's not making any halftime adjustments, and he's underutilized his best weapons all season long. No, I'm totally fine with Pruitt looking for someone new to run his offense, but I would have been fine with that before the pandemic. 
Friday night featured one of the brightest spots of the year for me as a Nashville sports fan. Nashville SC completely annihilated Inter-Miami in the franchise's MLS playoff debut with a 3-0 victory behind one of the best goals of the entire year from Randall Leal. The defense was superb. The trio of Hani Mukhtar, Jander Cadiz, and Leal got to start together for the first time all season, and it delivered in a big way. And even the captain, Dax McCarty, who kind of goes a bit under the radar from time to time, even delivered a big goal with a beautiful individual effort. Frankly, shorthanded, Miami never really had a chance, but you still got to finish the job. And the boys in gold handled their business with authority on Friday night. Nashville SC now heads to, follow me here, Hartford, Connecticut, to play the number two seed in the Eastern Conference, Toronto FC. The two sides actually never met in 2020, so it'll be the first meeting between the two ever. The match is scheduled to kick off at 5 p.m. Central Time on Tuesday evening. If you're counting at home in just the first year of MLS soccer, Nashville SC has now utterly dominated a home playoff match to advance to the second round of the playoffs, boasts the MLS Defender of the Year winner in Walker Zimmerman, posted statistically the best defense an expansion side has ever produced in MLS history, set the state attendance record for a soccer match, which, by the way, was third all-time in MLS history for a club's home debut, and can advance to the Eastern Conference semifinals on Tuesday night. All told, through a pandemic, a pause in play, a COVID outbreak, a compacted schedule, and constantly changing roster, soccer's debut in Music City has been a smashing success. For those who desperately wanted soccer in this town, like me, I could not have asked for a better first year. And hopefully maybe it's converted some of you guys out there that doubted it. Either way, tune in on Tuesday night and support something that we should all be able to get behind, a deep playoff run by a Nashville sports team. Thank you all for listening. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Again, a reminder, all podcasts from the 440 Sports Network will be up and running this week, of course. We're trying to get those to you early on Wednesday. You'll get a 440 on Thursday morning that'll preview the entire weekend, and then Friday we're off. So again, thank you for listening. Please rate, review, and subscribe. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter, at Braden Gall. This has been the 440 for Monday, November 23rd. The 440 is a production of 440 Media, written and produced by Braden Gall, music by William Tyler. Mm-hmm.